Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. This is Curtis Rogers, I'm Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Bernard E. Powers, Jr. Dr. Powers is Professor Emeritus of History at the College of Charleston and was also the founding director of the Center for the Study of Slavery in Charleston, South Carolina. He is the author of Black Charlestonians, A Social History, 1822 to 1885, and co-author of We Are Charleston, Tragedy and Triumph at Mother Emanuel. Dr. Powers is a founding board member and interim chief executive officer of the International African American Museum in Charleston, and is most recently the editor of the University of South Carolina Press publication, 101 African Americans Who Shaped South Carolina. So welcome to the podcast. Well, Curtis, thank you so very much for your invitation, and I'm also glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here with us and talking to our listeners. So uh, can you give our listeners a little overview of 101 African Americans Who Shaped South Carolina? And how, how did the idea for this book come about? Sure. Um, well, the uh, idea for the book really uh, resulted from this idea that there was a need to have a more compact and thematically organized uh, way to access some of the information from the very large encyclopedia of South Carolina that has about 2,000 <laughs> entries. And so the 101 African-Americans version really extracts the African-American experience in South Carolina, uh, looks at 101 different entries, and uses them essentially as a, as a means to walk through critical phases in South Carolina history uh, and looks at the way in which the African-American experience has, and individuals who represent that experience have shaped the unfolding of the history, the life, the culture in South Carolina. So it's, it's also a book that can be used in a classroom, for example, whereas the, the larger encyclopedia could not be used in that, in that way. And right now, the encyclopedia is, is not being published right now. Hopefully, it will, it will resume publication uh, down the road. But uh, so this is another way that if someone had an interest, for example, in uh, African-American history in South Carolina, they, they would have a compact means of accessing a lot of that information in this book. And you mentioned critical phases in South Carolina, uh, African-American history. What do you consider those critical phases to be? Okay, so uh, this book is divided really into five sections. And each one of those sections then contains these biographical vignettes of, of individuals. And uh, one of the unique things that is, is different is that in terms of the organization, the, the vignettes uh, and the individuals are entered in chronological order based on their birth. So simply by looking through the table of 
content, you can kind of zero in on the time period in which you might be interested. So if you're inter interested in 20th century, for example, you'd easily be able to identify people who were born in the late 19th century or in the 20th century and so on and so forth. Uh, but, but in terms of uh, themes, critical themes, uh, these are the five that the book is organized around. First of all, you have slavery and, and resistance. There's another section entitled Defining Freedom During the, the Reconstruction Era, which really, is a, which really begins before the traditional uh, dates that define uh, Reconstruction, which essentially are uh, 1865 until about 1876. So there's some, there's some antebellum pre-Civil War entries and uh, those entries go all the way up to the end of the 19th century also. Uh, and of course, Reconstruction, very important for, for this date. Then uh, another theme uh, is entitled The Creative Adaptation to the World of Jim Crow. And so that's obviously late 19th century and early 20th century. And of course, Jim Crow is a system of racial segregation. And one of the most important points that we want to make there is that people were not passive in the face of Jim Crow, which was a system that was designed really to oppress and humiliate people. But they developed a number of strategies by which they could combat that system, compensate for that system, challenge that system, and so on and so forth. Then we have the long struggle for civil rights, the traditional civil rights uh, movement, and, and we really start that in the early 20th century, the, the 1930s, and come really uh, until the early 1970s. And then the last theme is culture and politics in the modern South. And um, that really contains a broad spectrum of people who have done a number of different things uh, to bring credit to the state of South Carolina, bring uh, knowledge about the, the black history of the, of the state, and uh, they have made uh, important contributions to the larger American history and culture also. Now, one of the things I know about these types of books is that you have a lot of content to be able to work with. So how were you able to winnow it down to just 101? Because I know the number <laughs> has got to be much larger than that. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, that is, that is always the difficulty in, in doing history in general, because you typically have far more individual actors and groups and organizations that play important roles. And you've got to decide, well, who's in and who's out and where do we begin and where do we, end? all of those kinds, kinds, of, kinds of questions. So yeah, let me, let me try to explain that a bit, what, what went into those, those decisions. First of all, in, in doing a book like this, that focuses on South Carolina, one of the first challenges is how do you, how do you deal with slavery? Because that's, that's such a huge topic. 
and played such a critically important role in in the colony and and in the state. So so we made some basic decisions. A, we didn't want the slavery piece to overwhelm the rest of the the volume. So uh, necessarily, uh, we had to kind of minimize the number of the number of entries that we devoted to that to that subject. Uh, secondly, we also wanted to provide some information on the slave experience that people might not generally have been aware of. So we wanted to introduce them to some some new elements and hopefully pique their interest. And thirdly, and very, very, very importantly, again, we wanted to be able to demonstrate that these that, that, that enslaved people, again, were not, they were not passive, but they were active agents in trying to shape their lives. So, so that gives you some examples with regard to that particular section. But let me, let me, go, let me go to another section. So, for example, Reconstruction, another major phase in the history and development of South Carolina life and lots of, lots of individuals to, to choose from. And so we, we certainly wanted to uh, ensure that even though women were unable to vote, we wanted to make sure that, that women uh, actors were included. And so uh, that meant that, uh, that we selected the, the Rollin sisters uh, who, who were very active during this time period, promoting the interests of reconstruction, promoting the interests of women. Also, uh, were involved in the, the um, uh, women's right uh, to vote effort, the suffragette movement and so on from, from South Carolina. And so that dictated uh, the inclusion of, of that entry. But, but another example would be this one. So uh, we had uh, uh, certainly African-American men who were elected as lieutenant governors for the state of South Carolina during that time period. Uh, Richard Gleaves was one and Alonzo Ranzier was, was another. Well, we weren't gonna include both of them and we decided that we would include Alonzo Ranzier because he, uh, Ranzier was not only a state legislator as Gleaves had been, but Ranzier was also elected to the United States Congress, giving him an even higher profile and an even broader platform uh, by which to uh, articulate the interests and the needs of, of the state. And so that's how, that's how, for example, we made the decision to, uh, to include uh, the, uh, Ranzier rather, uh, rather than Gleaves. In the later time period, you know, uh, we, we have um, Reverend Joseph Delane, who we included, a uh, very important leader with regard to civil rights in South Carolina. And of course, the role that he played uh, ultimately would have an impact on the nation at large. Uh, but begins right here in, in South Carolina. So we didn't include Benjamin Mays. And Benjamin Mays, of course, is, is also very important, but 
but we thought much more important uh, in Georgia and on the national stage as a civil rights activist. And so we wanted someone who, who had really uh, strong roots in South Carolina for their activism. And so that's how we made that kind of decision. So we really, we really went, went through person by person, issue by issue, section by section, making, making those, those decisions. Yeah. And I know. Yeah, and sometimes, and sometimes it, it was it was very challenging. I can only imagine because I know you know there are African Americans in the South Carolina encyclopedia. So you know how do you differentiate and know you know who to add? And it, it's always a very difficult process when you're editing this type of this type of book. Um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask is how long did it take to put this together? Because these kinds of things for editors are labors of love. You have to really be, you know, into it and it's it's a very long, long-lived project. Yes, yes, yes. Well let me let me just <laughs> quickly tell you that many years ago, in fact, I remember what year it was. It was it was 1999. Um, I edited a, a collection of essays and uh, I swore that I would never do that again. <laughs> and, I haven't, and I haven't been involved in such a project like that uh, since, until, until this one. Uh, but the, the, the good thing about uh, this collection is that overwhelmingly uh, the entries were extracted from the encyclopedia. So what that meant was that they were they were really already done uh, as a matter of selecting them from there and going back through rereading them, updating some of them, um, and catching anything you know that uh, that we needed to catch to to correct that might not have you know that might have been just an oversight uh, for the original uh, publication. Then we wanted to uh, make sure that um, that the 101 version was current in some other ways too. So, so we had to add some new entries. And so, for example, Senator Tim Scott and Mayor of Columbia, Steve Benjamin. Uh, we've added we've added those because the uh, the original encyclopedia I recall is published in two thousand and six. So, and you know, uh, and we've had we've had people who who passed away since the publication uh, who were in the original, and so dates then had to had to uh, to be changed. Uh, I did uh, I did a, a new entry on the Emanuel Nine, which dates to June of 2015. So sure, all of those things had to had to be done. Now this project took in the neighborhood of about nine months, nine nine or ten months, but the original encyclopedia took several years it took several years i mean it was it was a huge 
project. And if we had had to solicit all of the entries and have them written from, from scratch and edited them from scratch, I still, we, we would still be working on them now. <laughs> and, 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 and let me also mention that the, the editor from uh, the uh, press, Aaron, uh, was just just wonderful, Aaron Aaron Foley. One, wonderful, wonderful to to work with. Uh, so yeah, if 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 we had had to put this together from scratch, this would have this would have been a multi a multi year effort also, and uh, I would probably have even less hair on my head than I have now, and more gray here. <laughs> Exactly. It, re it really is a lot of work when, when you yeah. uh, put something like this together. So uh, for our listeners, what are some of the most interesting entries in the book? And if you maybe have one selected, if you could, wouldn't mind reading some to us. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I would love to uh, tell you just uh, a little bit about, uh, and this is from the slavery section, uh, a man uh, whose name is Omar Ibn Said, uh, S-A-I-D, spelling for the last name. And uh, he lived between the years 1770 and 1859. He was free on the African side, originated in the area of today's modern country of Senegal. He was a Muslim. And that's one of the reasons we wanted him included, because uh, a lot of people think that Islam has only become an important issue uh, in the United States in recent years, since 9-11, for example, and the U.S. engagement in modern Middle Eastern politics. But no, there's certainly been an Islamic presence that goes back to the period of, of the 18th century. And so Omar Ibn Said, uh, unfortunately, was, was swept up in the Atlantic slave trade. He was captured and uh, forced across the Atlantic Ocean and arrives in Charleston in 1807, uh, which is right at the end, it's toward the very end of the Atlantic slave trade. We know that Omar Ibn Said was a very, he was a very learned man. He knew how to read and write in Arabic. And uh, so let me read this section. Omar's American saga unfolded while he was enslaved in Charleston, South Carolina. He arrived in Charleston in 1807 after a voyage of six weeks and was immediately sold to a Mr. Johnson, who proved to be a brutal master and prevented him from performing his daily Islamic prayers. In response, Omar ran away. He spent a month traveling to North Carolina, reaching Fayetteville, where he was arrested while performing his prayers in a church. Omar's imprisonment generated tremendous curiosity because of his ability to read and write. He used the charcoal in his jail cell to write Muslim prayers and appeals in Arabic to the authorities not to return him to Charleston. His former owner was finally paid off by Jim Owen, 
who took him to his Milton plantation. Omar was happy with his new master to the point that he accepted conversion to Christianity. He remained with Owen until the late antebellum period, serving Owen in many capacities, including in his last position as a butler at the plantation of his master's brother, Governor John Owen. Despite his conversion to Christianity, Uncle Moreau, as Omar was popularly known, who was familiar with both the Holy Bible and the Koran, continued to live as a Muslim. And, uh, and he would finally pass away on the eve of the Civil War in 1859. That's an so amazing that's story. Yes, 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 it really is. Omar Ibn Said. Um, and when and when you hear stories like that, you think of what was his life like before arriving to Charleston? Because if he, you know, was a learned man, he knew how to read and write. It's just, you know, really interesting to try to think of of the backstory that we may never know. Yes, yes, yes. That is that is exactly right. And to come from that background of privilege. And obviously, with, with a certain amount of uh, leisure time in order to pursue intellectual pursuits. Now, I mean, if you think about it, having to have endured the Middle Passage uh, six weeks across the Atlantic Ocean, and that trip from Senegal to Charleston would have been one of the shortest trips across the Atlantic. And then in South Carolina, uh, forced into the fields, doing the kind of work that he was absolutely unused to and unfit for. This would have been such a dramatic transformation in his, in his life, which is, which is, again, why he, why he ran away. Very interesting to, um, to hear those stories and to know that there are a lot more of those kinds of stories that people may not know about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, since this is Library Voices South Carolina, one of the things I always like to ask uh, folks I interview is, do you have any library-related stories you like to share? And it could be something personal or professional working on the book. Sure, 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 I, I do. Let me, uh, let me share a personal story. You know, when I, when I uh, graduated from high school and went to college, I wasn't quite sure what I would major in, but it, it was, I was torn between two possibilities. One was chemistry, the other was history. And I uh, started off as a chemistry major. But for a variety of reasons, and one of the most important ones was that I found that working in the chemistry lab was, it was solitary and it was lonely. Uh, and sometimes you, you, you're the only person there waiting on the color of the solution to, to change or the precipitate the fallout. And I, I, I just grew kind of um, weary of that experience. And so that was one of the main factors that, that led me to shift over to my, my other possibility, my, my other love, really, which was, uh, which was history. Uh, and history was 
was all about people and uh, albeit people who were deceased. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, it had the human element that chemistry lacked. So the reason I'm telling you that, and that is the background, because um, I had kind of, a, kind of a funny experience. I was at the University of Chicago many years ago, uh, again, when I, uh, when I was a graduate student, and I went to um, a library at the University of Chicago, but th this, this was not the main, the main, uh, it was not the main undergraduate library. It was kind of a warehouse with all kinds of documents and records, all kinds of sources there. And the documents that I needed to look at were downstairs in the basement. So I went there and the staff took me down to the basement and, and I was down there. I arrived early in the morning. I was there at nine o'clock when they opened, went down. And this is, this is around Christmas time. And so I'm down there and stayed. And finally I came up at about five o'clock, which was closing time. And I emerged at the top of the stairwell and the members of the staff, and I, and, and I could hear music and some revelry going on, and members of the staff turned and they looked and they said, hey, aren't you the guy that went down this morning at nine o'clock? You're still here? And I said, yeah. They said, wow, you are really committed. Come on, come on over here and have a drink with us. <laughs> and so, you know, we drank Spike eggnog and other, <laughs> had other libations but 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 it was not just that but as a history researcher i frequently found myself in a solitary situation where there's no one else around you know it's you uh similar to in the chemistry lab <laughs> but nevertheless um these individuals that you study become part of your your life uh, almost like your relatives, you know, and you get to know them. And uh, so, yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's one story. That's a great share. story. That's, uh, you know, I like to hear that because I think a lot of people don't realize that the library staff actually does, you know, in, in good times when we can get together, uh, it, you know, have uh, holiday gatherings or potlucks. And, and I think a lot of people from the outside don't necessarily think that that's the case. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, yes, I can attest to it that librarians and archivists can be and are fun people. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Thank you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So as, as we wrap up, do you have any other kinds of uh, special upcoming projects you'd like to mention or highlight? Yeah, uh, uh, sure. I would like to, to mention that. Uh, but also one of, one of the other hats that, uh, that I wear is uh, I'm the interim uh, CEO at the International African American Museum that, uh, that we're working on in downtown Charleston. Uh, it is, uh, it'll be located right on the Cooper River, and the construction is going on right now, even as, as, uh, as we speak. And so we are expecting to have the museum open in uh, 2022. So that's really right around the corner. We've been working on this project for, for about 20 years now, but the fact that the building is going up and we're working on the exhibits is uh, it's just really a great uh, encouragement. 
And um, it's, it's going to be an important uh, initiative that really looks at the African-American experience in South Carolina as the basis for exploring the larger experience of African people, not only here, but in other places around the Atlantic and in the Caribbean and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that we will be encouraging people to do is once they visit our site in downtown Charleston, then to go out along a trail that we're gonna put together that will send people out to other historic sites around the state, around the nation, and ultimately to international places, to uh, Liverpool and London in the UK, to Rio in Brazil, not uh, in France, and uh, to Barbados, uh, which really was the seedbed for the settlement of South Carolina, so that they can pursue the African-derived connections to all of these places. And so that's a very important project that's, that's in the works. I'm, I'm very proud to be associated with, with it. And we'll be working with, uh, and we're, we are already working with a number of historic sites and, and museums. Uh, we'll be connected to, to the library and all of that as we, as we move further to opening and getting it opening and begin to do the programming and all of that. So look forward to that beginning in 2022 and afterwards. Great, it sounds absolutely amazing. And it's something that, um, you know, I think will be just uh, not only fascinating to um, visit in person, but also fascinating to be that kind of international um, depository of, of information. So that, that's wonderful. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, thank you. Glad, uh, we'll be really glad to, to get it open and servicing people. And uh, it's going to really bring some new ways of thinking about South Carolina history, African-American history, and, and American history through this different lens. Well, it's uh, an amazing project and a wonderful program, and certainly the book, uh, which again is 101 African Americans Who Shaped South Carolina. We, we look forward to the museum, and also I would encourage our listeners to check their local libraries for the book. Uh, and I know it's uh, come out uh, September 15th of 2020, so if it's not in your library, request it be put in your library. And you can also go online to the University of South Carolina Press website and purchase it there if you're interested. And we will have links to that on our podcast page. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, uh, as I said earlier, uh, Curtis, I appreciate the invitation. And uh, you have been such a wonderful and gracious host. And just look forward to working with you in the future and other staff there at the library. Thank you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.